Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, we're going to study another prayer in the Prayers to the Creator series. We've gone through the entire Old Testament, and it was not until early in the book of Acts that you found one in the New Testament. (laughs) Where is the prayer we'll be considering today? Well, Scott, I'm learning. There are not many prayers to the Creator in the New Testament. Mm. I had to search all the way to the letter to the Ephesians to find the next prayer to the Creator, but it is a great one. Oh, as I recall, Paul tells the Ephesians more than once that he prays for them. Mm -hmm. One of my favorites is when he tells them, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Mm. That's a wonderful prayer, but doesn't seem to be directed to the Creator. Oh, I agree with you on both counts, Scott. That is a wonderful prayer. But as you note, it's not addressing God as the Creator. Now, that prayer is in Ephesians chapter 1, but the prayer we'll be studying is in chapter 3. And I think it has several similarities to the one you quoted from there in chapter 1, with the addition that Paul does have God's identity as the Creator in mind as he addresses him as Father. So, first, I want to read the prayer in its entirety, and then we'll consider many of its details, including how Paul identifies God the Father as the Creator. The prayer is in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. So go ahead and start, Scott. Okay. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Now that was a prayer. Yep. And as I mentioned earlier, it has several similarities to his prayer for the Ephesians in chapter 1. Yes, Paul very much wants them to understand the love and power of God. Mm -hmm. In the first prayer, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And in this prayer, he says he prays that they may be able to comprehend the love of Christ, among other things. And something that I find very encouraging is that Paul's prayer was not just for the Ephesians. He said they may be able to comprehend with all the saints. You know, I would say that that certainly would include other believers at that time, but wouldn't it include us? Sort of like Jesus' prayer in chapter 17 of John, you know, where he says, and I pray not only for my disciples, but those who will believe because of their word. So I'm going to say that Paul's including us in this prayer too. And he goes on to say how vast the love of Christ is and his power that works within us. 
And what kind of power might that be? Well, one would be resurrection power. Indeed, which he specifically mentions in that first prayer. So let's read where Paul refers to that in Ephesians 1. When he speaks of the surpassing greatness of God's power, he says in chapter 1, verse 19, in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now there's resurrection power indeed. Physical resurrection, not just an abstraction of living in light of the resurrection. Now, don't get me wrong, that is crucial, that abstract uh, living in the light of the resurrection. It's crucial in order for us to deny the world and the flesh and live as aliens in the world. But that verse is highlighting the fact that the power of God that bodily raised Jesus from the dead is the same power he wields today. And I would submit that God's power to resurrect is the same power as his power to create. And isn't it interesting that those who would deny God's supernatural power in special creation, claiming that he used evolution, so often, over time, end up denying the miraculous bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ as well. Now, I'm not saying that always goes hand in hand, that would be claiming that all Christians who believe in evolution do not believe in the resurrection. Meaning they're not truly believers. Right. So a belief in the doctrine of special creation is not part of the gospel of salvation. In other words, believing that Jesus died for one's sins and that he rose from the dead. That is the message of the gospel, which is what must be believed by all who are saved. But though evolution and the denial of the resurrection may not go hand in hand, one sure seems to follow the same path, you might say, as the other. And that is a path that often becomes a slippery slope. Resurrection power? I believe that is tantamount to creation power. And our God has demonstrated both. Okay, Dr. Scripture, we've seen the comparison between the prayers of Ephesians 1 and 3 that Paul is wanting them and us to understand God's power. But you still have not pointed out where in the second prayer, Paul actually identifies God as the creator, making the Ephesians chapter 3 prayer a prayer to the creator. <laughs> a good point, Scott. I can always count on you to get us back on track. Of course. So let's read verses 14 and 15, the beginning of the prayer again. So go ahead. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So, how does every family get its name, according to what Paul just said? From the Father. Exactly. Indicating that the Father is the origin of all families, all people. In other words, every single human being, just as a baby born, gets its name from its father, Paul is identifying God the Father as the origin of the name of every family. But then again, how can that be possible? It's possible because God created Adam and Eve. Right. And every family has descended from that original family. And, Dr. Scripture, it seems that's similar to what Paul says when he's preaching on Mars Hill, when he says everyone is the offspring of God. Excellent point, Scott. Thank you. Yes. In Acts chapter 17, he's preaching to the Athenians, you know, and he's talking about their unknown God. 
and he tells them who they call the unknown God is actually the one and only true God. And he says in verses 28 and 29, for in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. Being then the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. And so, with that, here in his letter to the Ephesians, what Paul is pointing out is, the Father to whom he bows the knee is the creator of all mankind, all families, those on the earth and those who are no longer on the earth. And to confirm that that is what is in Paul's mind, as he addresses the Father, let's go back a few verses in Ephesians 3 and read some of the context of Paul's prayer. He's describing the ministry God called him to. And so what does he say in verse 8, Scott? He says, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. And verse 9 goes on to say, And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things. So Paul really does have God as creator of all things at the forefront of his mind as he tells the Ephesians what his prayer for them is. Indeed. So this is truly a prayer to the creator. And with that in mind, that he is making his request to the creator of all things and all people, then let's consider what he asks of the Father. Verse 16 that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Now, what does that mean to you, Scott? I would say it means that I would experience a very real presence of God in my heart and mind so that no matter what I was facing in life, I would be strong in my faith. Hmm. I guess you could say that I would live resurrected life explainable only by the supernatural power of God. Yes, I would hope that for both you and myself, Scott. And as much as the power of God is involved in the resurrection life, it seems the most powerful motivation in that life is the love of God. First and foremost, his love for us, and then our love for him. So in verses 17 through 19, Paul goes on to say, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all fullness of God. So, when Paul here is thinking of the fullness of God, Part of that fullness is the understanding that this love for us comes from the creator of all things. To think that the one who stretched out the heavens is he who loves us, is he who gave himself for us. It truly surpasses knowledge, but it's true. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. And by faith, we understand that that word became flesh and dwelt among us. Hands that cast the stars in space were hands that were nailed to the cross. When David contemplated his creator and the relationship he had with him, he said it this way, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou dost take thought of him and the son of man that thou dost care for him? 
yet thou hast made him a little lower than God, and dost crown him with glory and majesty. Perhaps the most unthinkable thing that God does is, as a result of the new birth, he dwells in us. Mm. That is the source of that power in the inner man that Paul more importantly, that God wants for us. I agree, Scott. The idea that God dwells in us, this creator, how glorious is this relationship we have with our Father, our creator, the Spirit, and Jesus Christ. So, with the understanding of just who it is that empowers us, lives in us, loves us, verse 20 and 21 is a doxology of doxologies. Go ahead and read verse 20, Scott. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. (laughs) That's right. And to think when we're talking about what God can do exceedingly abundantly, he created everything. I'd say whatever he wants to do, It could be more abundant than we could possibly ever even imagine, as Paul points out. So when it's according to his will for us, is it obedience? Is it trust? Is it boldness that we need? We can ask, and he will exceeding abundantly answer our prayers. And so Paul's prayer for the Ephesians and for us is that that creator would grant us, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. And that's not what I say, that's what Scripture says.